Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 How's that? Welcome to this very special episode of Shoplifting. I'm Liv Siddle and I'm joined by Andy Butler of Huckley's and Love Affair. Hi, Andy. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Rough Trade. Thank you. Um, so you're currently in London to do press for your brand new album, Omnion, which is out on the 1st of September on Big Beat Records. Is that right? It is. And yeah, skint in the UK and the, in Europe. Fantastic. Have you been, um, has, everyone, has the album kind of been received well so far? Yeah, it seems like it has. You know, we've been trickling singles out or like there's been a slow drip over the past few months and um, they seem to have been met with uh, fairly open arms. People are kind of feeling them. There's a bit of a, it's a bit of a departure in some ways from the previous material. So uh, some people I think are a little, uh, it took a minute to digest uh, for some of the music, but yes, people are receiving it well, I think. What do you mean it's a departure? Do you, how, how has it changed? Well, this record is... Um, Hercules and Love Affair has always kind of been um, a songwriting-focused dance music project. Like, a, uh, the focus, the most important thing has always been, uh, for me, to have songs that stand up um, with or without a heavy kick drum with or without all of the bells and whistles when it comes to production. And um, this record is probably more, um, the point that point has been driven home more now than ever on this record, I think. So I really focused on writing the best songs I could and having the best, yeah, leading with just the best songs. Um, and I think historically people um, have, a lot of people really enjoy, um, yeah, the sort of dance music, the more club-oriented stuff that I've done, or they've, you know, the, when 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 Hercules first appeared, we appeared with a twelve-inch on DFA, and it was pretty much techno house music, you know. And then the record came out, the album came out, and there was there was a, a heavy dose of disco music on it, and people, and then house music on the next one. And I think people have come to the shows and really love throwing their hands in the air and really cutting cutting a rug, getting feeling free. And um, this record is more introspective and it is um, less maybe club-facing in some ways. I quite liked it in your older albums. I remember buying what, the, the debut when I was a teenager and really enjoying the mix of, you know, real bangers and then some really kind of tender songs in there as well. Like it was kind of like a bit of a journey. It wasn't all just an assault of like party music. And that's, that exists again on this record. And it's existed... On every record that we've done, sounds the third one, which was, I, I was in the midst of just writing kind of fun four to the floor music, and I thought, you know, it's not a big deal. Let's, there were still, in the in on the Feast of the Broken Heart, the third record, there was still um, a delicate number or two even. So, and, you know, the song I did with John Grant, the final track on the record. But yes, I've always kind of been really keen on the idea that the listening experience in terms of an album have peaks and valleys and sort of, you know, a range of emotion, you know, like I learned when I studied uh, theater in high school that, you know, great works or great art, you know, 
the 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 two masks of the two the 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 mask of joy and the mask of tragedy you know yeah. um, really make a com- for a complete experience for a complete experience and uh, I try to apply that to every record what kind of songs were you listening to when you were when you were growing up when you were like under 12 was it was it song songs <laughs> it was song songs and it was um you know i don't i don't know why i think i i i really gravitated towards subculture really young um i think it has i you know it's not Every interview I seem to do has a, a a little dose of you know queerness in it, but I think it has to do with being an outsider growing up. You know, it's like um, being a redhead queer. Um, I I just sort of the the stuff that existed outside of the mainstream spoke to me from a pretty early age. I think it also had to do with the fact that I found acceptance from older people mm-hmm. a lot more frequently than I did from younger people. So kids in high school would look at me as a younger person and be like, you're okay the way you are. You don't, you know, but other kids around me my age were quite mean to me. So the stuff they were listening to, I wasn't as keen on. I very early on, you know, um, 11 or 12, I started buying REM records and like having like some sort of an indie spirit, you know? So, uh, I mean, I nicked my first Jesus and Mary Chain record from Tower <laughs> Records when I was 12, I think. That's cool. Yes, and it, <laughs> it, it got, I got very nearly got caught. Uh, my photograph was put on the wall at Tower Records. Like, if you see this kid, grab him. No way. Yes, we were so bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and before that, I think my first sort of main pop thing that I loved was In Excess, actually. Cool. Uh, yeah. I think there was just a soulfulness to Michael Hutchins' voice and the fact that they sort of acknowledged dance music too. And I don't know, I really liked them as a, in terms of pop music, yeah. So I was listening to that stuff when I was like maybe 10, 11, 12. And then around 13 years old, I um, encountered perhaps the, like Nitzer Ebb, Front 242. I started seeing things on MTV on the late night programs, which were this was a like a more harder edged and electronic sounding um, genre of music. I didn't really know what industrial was, but I liked it. I liked the sort of uh, the visual aspect of it and stuff. And um, I started like getting into that and hanging out with kids that were, um, yeah kind of industrial punky sorts of kids. How did you find them? Often it's quite difficult to find your like clan as it were. If you if you're into a kind of a genre then you've got to go and find other friends who You know, I it's like um you know how metalheads display the bands they love so much on their jackets, yeah. you know? And like they lead with these emblems. They lead with logos. And you can identify who's going to be your friend based on <laughs> yeah. what metal band they have on their jacket, their jean jacket. Um, it was a bit similar. So, like, you know, in school, it's like I would notice uh, some kid with, um, yeah, an interesting uh, haircut or an int- You know what I mean? There's, yeah. like, indicators that... And then you start talking and you, you know, music inevitably comes up and it's like, oh, you like that band too? And that's often how it happened. But, you know, band t-shirts, um, you know, black nail polish, you know, things things indicated like, I think I'll get along with that person and they'll probably accept, accept me as I am. 
little indicators and you kind of like follow them around a bit for a few weeks like <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> round corridors <laughs> yeah, watching exactly. Them. <laughs> yeah exactly um, um so on the on the new album Omnian I wanted to ask you because there's there's so many collaborations on this one and I suppose Hercules and Love Affair has always been about because it's a band essentially it's about collaboration about different voices coming in and allowing other people's influence to to come in and inviting artists to be part of it which is that's what I love about it and it's got sort of such a kind of like a nice spirit to it but I wanted to know how how do you possibly decide who's going to be on the album like is it just people that you do you invite them or is it is it over conversations that you have because they're already friends or do you pick out people specifically because you're like I need that on that track sometimes it happens like that you know um Sharon for instance on this record was really like I discovered her voice in a very kind of perchance way and was sort of obsessed by the mystery and the, yeah, that it seems to, uh, to display like her voice was just enchanting. And, uh, so I started, I, I did a little bit of internet hounding with her, <laughs> but because uh, I didn't know her directly. And then I realized I did know people who knew her. I knew people who knew her very fairly well. This is Sharon Van Etten, sorry yes, for sorry. listeners that don't know. She is one of the collaborators. Yes, yeah, so Sharon sings the title track Omnion. Uh, and yeah, so that was like a, a pretty sort of uh, considered and impersonal a way of approaching a collaborator. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. I wish, I hope they would do something with me. And then other times it happens more organically. Um, over the years, it's been a, a, a number of different ways. Sometimes it's as simple as like, I crossed paths with them um, backstage at a concert that I put on and they were just there and they ended up singing for me in my dressing room and I was like, wow. Cool. Yeah, so <laughs> sometimes collaborators like Rouge Marie, that's how I discovered Rouge. Rouge, well, I didn't discover Rouge. That's how we uh, started, <laughs> that's how we started working. Um, Rouge was sort of hanging out backstage at a concert in Paris and... Um, Immediately, the thing that I responded to do was her look. She was just kind of uh, lingering in the corner like a shadowy character backstage in a long black trench coat, a sort of like black cowboy hat, black sunglasses, and long black hair. And she looked like she was from the Mission UK or something or like Fields of the Nephilim. And I was like, what, what, who, how did members of the cult end up at my, <laughs> at my concert tonight? And I, I just approached Rouge and I was like, what is your story? And I, I mean, I think I was, I was still drinking at this point. So I was quite loose lipped. Okay. And, um, yeah, within minutes we were talking about Jesus singing for the Lord and she came backstage and drank, uh, uh, sang, sang a beautiful song in exchange for a glass of champagne. That's so nice. And then we started working. Yeah, and we've been working together for five years. That's the best. Yeah, so sometimes it's really crazy personal stories like that, and then other times it's like, you know. And Ferris, Badwan from The Horrors. Um, often the songs kind of like, the tracks develop, and then they kind of tell me who, in terms of what kind of a vocalist is suitable, or like who makes sense. And um, like two, these two songs on the record just they were essentially telling me you need a rock and roll voice as someone that is a presence and like has a, a male voice yeah. uh, in rock and roll. And I, I was kind of thinking someone again who sort of inhabits a bit of a darker, uh, on the darker end of, of things. And it was, um, 
it was hard for me to pinpoint in the current landscape of kind of like younger rock musicians who was the dangerous dark horse anymore <laughs> because it seemed like I was like wow there's a lot of kind of sanitized um rock and rollers right now or or there's a lot of like sweet hips kind of hipster kind of kids or yeah. there's kind of but who's who's a little on the edge and dangerous and so true it was hard for me to find there isn't like an anti-hero anymore it's there just kind isn't of... and yeah there it was hard for me to find it and um and so then i was working with a, a friend doing a fa- uh, music for his fashion show and he played me a song he loved and i was like oh yeah this is your love by frankie knuckles and jamie principal um it is a great song is this an old demo of it or something? I've never heard this version. He's like, no, this is the horrors covering Frankie Knuckles and Jamie Principal. And all of a sudden, Ferris starts singing. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> First of all, this cover is amazing. How cool is it that this rock band did such a fabulous cover of a house music classic, which is a really hard thing to do. Yeah, really difficult. A really difficult. And they pull it off really like a class act. And um, it occurred to me, Ferris. So I approached a friend who knew Ferris, and I said, what about Ferris Badwin, remember? I had been having conversations like, who, who, who? And um, Ferris, we got in touch, and he was super cool. And I knew he would make sense after hearing that. Yeah. You know, after you you hear um, a rock artist or someone who's traditionally working in rock and roll um, sort of really um, delicately rendering a piece of dance music, you, it, it was very clear, like, he'll be into it. Yeah. You know what he'll I mean? He'll get it. He'll get it. And so, like, he'll want to come to my side the same way I want to go to his side, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The, and did he just understand what you were trying to do completely? Totally. 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 I mean, it was pretty insane. Um, the first demo I sent De- Ferris had a, um, a bass line, the original bass line for the song, to his ears, reminded him of a certain, a certain kind of obscure, um, sort of no wave, new wave, British ska crossover random record um, that I bought when I was twenty one and randomly had in my collection, and I knew exactly what his issue with the baseline was and why it reminded him of this song and. But this, the fact that he mentioned this song was like, you kind of know obscure dance music records or you you pay attention to weirdo electronic vinyl. <laughs> yeah. And so right away, we were kind of like able to communicate on a, um, yeah, a very informed and it was easy. Yeah, that's great. If yeah. you just know that the person's going to understand there exactly what you need. No and they have trouble. the same frame of reference as well. Exactly. He knew what we were after. That's testament to you being good, though, as well. Like, just to hear him do that song and know, like, right, that's the, that's the guy for me. Because, you know, just yeah. getting that kind of first, like, ooh, yeah, them. Same with Sharon Van Etten, you know. Like, not many people would have invited Sharon to collaborate on an album like, of a genre like you create. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I um... I listen to all kinds of music, and that's like, that's the thing. I think I'm, I'm still, I feel, still feel like quite an outsider because I'm not really one of these people. While I exist in dance music, while we, while Hercules is sort of a dance music project, I am, um, I'm really listening to an eclectic range of things, and I find inspiration in 
things that are not traditionally probably found in the same oh i would imagine i can't assume mm. or presume that other you know electronic music producers and or dance music dance music producers are really as willing or interested in listening to sort of like you know crusty 80s death metal or proto <laughs> death metal and you know sort of minimalist and naive uh, kind of modern classical music and things like it's pretty all over the map or psychedelic folk records from the late 60s, 70s. You know, it's kind of, I, I find there's so much beautiful music everywhere. Yeah, it's too much, isn't there? There really is. It's so, too much. And I, I find it all inspiring. So that does make me a bit receptive or a lot of it inspiring. So it makes me receptive to different kinds of voices and artists and things. Great. <laughs> just, sometimes that happens we just stop talking like okay um, before I get you to go through some of your influences um, I guess I've kind of got to mention this this piece that, that you've written for, for Pitchfork about the album and the creation of the album now I think when albums come out uh, by people who maybe the press know have had a bit of like an up and a down time the press are always trying to get someone to be honest and give like basically juicy details about their, their life and sometimes they don't get it and it just makes it all the more alluring but what you've done here is basically just given everyone the truth and you've written this long piece which is basically a, a, a handwritten press release about what the album is and why kind of some of the darkest times of your life have influenced it and you've just put it all on a plate and said there it is kind of take what you want from it and you know when I asked for um, information on the album I was just sent that because people were like you're not going to get uh, the label was like you're not going to get a more pure story than that yeah. um, and I just wanted to ask you like what it took just to be that honest and just to kind of let everyone in on something that must have been difficult to kind of say I suppose mm -hmm. it, it was um, it was difficult it was a difficult thing to do on some level um However, there's some music on the record that really is kind of confessional or, yeah, I'm, I guess um, I'm not scared of being vulnerable. Um, and I often, my life repeatedly, I seem to be presented with these lessons that say, you'll find strength in that vulnerability and people won't hurt you if you let them know that you have weakness or that you have, and the opposite might happen, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I'm really, I can't imagine um, being the kind of person that's always presenting this really clean, um, prettified, uh, photoshopped, presentation of myself you know like I um I don't really yeah I don't know I just I I, I I identify with artists who lead with their with sincerity who put you know their authentic selves into what they do and I've never been terribly um interested in a bunch of artifice and stuff in terms of the art I like and stuff. But um, that specific article or that specific interview, it was it was a difficult thing to do, um, mainly because 
I knew that some people would read it um, potentially like my family and um, they, you know, didn't know the exact, a lot of the, the nature of how bad things got. Mm. And um, I revealed, you know, I, to a degree how bad things got because it got a lot worse than what was actually written, you know, but I conveyed, um, I think, enough to 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 relay the gravity of the situation and that I was, you know, I was dealing with illness, you know, I, I'm an addict, alcoholic recovering and it was very, it was an, it was an illness for me. It was very serious. And um, the day that the article ran, I just, I was sick all day. You know, I was just like, oh goodness, please say that this guy did not over sensationalize things. Please say that, um, you know, there isn't some horrible tagline. Mm. And, um, he actually, uh, Matthew, who wrote the piece or put my words into a nice form, mm. um, really uh, sensitively presented all of the information and and I felt very relieved. But at the same time, you know, I still felt, I felt pretty uh, upset for a few days just because um, I felt like there were perhaps people who may have been upset by it all but um my family came out and yeah of course you know offered support and and everything um yeah i don't know i i felt a little bit like wow i'm probably robbing a lot of if there's been any mystique with me as an artist i'm probably <laughs> removing all of it and just showing you know my my truth my 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 humanity really and how attractive is that in a modern modern day um, for today, for people today? I think it's very um, attractive. And also, I think it must be, I, I, I imagine it's felt good for you after, maybe? It has. It has. I feel a bit like cleaning your room or something, like getting it out Definitely. and being like, okay, it's done now. Definitely. I mean, yeah. It, it has. It definitely was like that. And... Um, it's uh, it, it was a bit a bit the whole process was a little bit about removing shame, mm. you know what I mean. The process of talking about what really happened, it for me it was useful and that it sort of was, I'm not going to deal with the stigma or the shame or I, I, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to confront it and I'm going to just you know, look at it, present it shamelessly and fearlessly and uh, so yes, I think it has had a good impact and people yeah. They know not to offer me a drink anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I'm, that's good. I'm good. Yeah, I don't need that. Yeah. Well, I thought it was very inspiring and I nearly shed a tear when I was reading it. And it made me really excited to meet you because I think it's just a really amazing thing to do. And it's it's kind of given the album this kind of extra layer of like kind of gravitas or something because it's just now you know what's behind this music. It just kind of, as with anything, it just adds an extra not flavor but just like makes it more Intensity. intense yeah yeah i think you know it's like remove a ton of medication and drugs and alcohol um that were used to mask uh an, an intensely sensitive person or mask you know uh, numb a, a very sensitive character i am and uh if you remove all of that yeah life becomes extremely real emotions become extremely real and you become 
it's hard not to care a lot about what's happening in the world when you have all have all of that stuff taken away. Your mm-hmm. coping mechanisms, essentially, you know, um, care about your world uh, in a very personal, immediate way, but also in a great the greater sense of you know. It's really hard to read the news as a sober person. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> and like process it all and like, hey. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is currently struggling with addiction in some form? I would definitely encourage them to um, find other people in the same situation and um, and not be afraid to share all of the messiness and the, um, you know, yeah, all of the um, hopeless and un- unsolvable problems that they might think they have in their head with someone else who's kind of been there. Because I think that's often what keeps people, is that keeps people in such a cycle or such a place is that they think there's no way anyone will be able to help me or do anything. And and uh, it's all a bunch of nonsense. It's really, yeah, there are, I think you really have to, rely on other people and have faith in other people that was the only way it worked for me at least it's definitely not one of those things you would do alone no yeah well thank god for good people yes and there still are some you <laughs> there's know? loads there's lots there's yeah. tons i meet them all the time i promise definitely right let's play some music okay super so i've asked you to put together um a bunch of songs that have inspired the record in some way so I guess we'll just go through them and you can tell yeah. me why you picked cool. it. Perfect. So the first one is Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Yes. And this record, yeah, why did you pick this one? The the first song I chose is Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, a song called International, um, on a record that they made called Dazzle Ships. And I chose this song for a bunch of reasons. Um, I really admire uh, the, their production um Sound, the sound of the band OMD at this moment. Um, when they started, they had aspirations to kind of, um, I think, fuse something. I've, I've read somewhere, fuse of Roxy music and Kraftwerk, essentially. And um, at the beginning, like they really, they were doing some amazing experience, experiments in that regard. This song is a little, um, I think it's, it's a th- in a three, four meter. It's like a waltz almost. And um, it's one of the most emotional vocal performances I think I've ever heard. And it was, uh, Anoni introduced it to me when I was probably 22 or something. And um, she sat me down and she said, this, you have to hear this if you don't know. Because I didn't really know OMD. I knew a lot of new wave bands, but I, and so this song, um, it starts with, um, a news report about a little girl who has had her hands cut off in Nicaragua. And um, I get, and then it goes into this spacey sort of waltz with the most um, emotional vocal performance. It's heartbreaking all around, but it's electronic and it's dance music and it's sort of raising some amount of, or at least acknowledging. S- a poli- it's a political statement on some level. It's acknowledging yeah. the suffering of people around the world, you know. And um, so I took cues from it for this record. You know, it was an important 
and this song specifically inspired some of the music on this on the, the new Hercules and Love Affair album. Amazing. Yeah. Can you introduce it like a radio host, please? Sure. Hey there, this is Andy Butler from Hercules and Love Affair. The next song I'm going to play for you is from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark from their album Dazzle Ships. Here is International. The Youth Anti-Imperialist Tribune was also addressed by a young girl from Nicaragua whose hands had been cut off at the wrists by the former Somoza Guard. Veronica Merkel of the German Federal Republic had this to say.
That was excellent. Thank you. <laughs> That's really good. I wasn't prepared for how good that was going to be. Uh, okay, so that was International by Orchestral Movers, Movers in the Dark. And up next, Front 242. Geography. Great. Number one. Number one. Um, I chose this song from Front 242. Uh, again, it's early work from them. I, um, I think it was another band, quite honestly, that was trying to evoke craft work at this moment <laughs> um but with a sort of harsher distorted edge you know and um there's a song on the new album called rejoice which is the most up-tempo kind of like exuberant number on the record and um the bass line was definitely directly referencing a sort of early front two for two bass line um so that's the main reason I chose this one because it was uh it's just a a sound that I've known since I was a teenager that I've always kind of been in love with and when I sort of stumbled into it during the you know the chaos that is the creative process in the studio I ended up with something that evoked something like a great old front 242 front 242 baseline and um yeah, I thought I'd share something that was sort of the source for that inspiration, or the source of inspiration <laughs> for that song. Sorry. So articulate. Excellent. <laughs> um, so this is Geography One by Front 242. Geography 1, not Geography 2, Geography, geography one, 1 uh, from Front 242. What was the album called? 
Geography. Geography. Yes. Great. Um, so that was number two. What have you got up next? It was Brian Eno. Oh, it's one of those Brian Eno songs. <laughs> um, yeah, the next song I, I chose to uh, play or ask you to play was uh, Brian Eno, Everything Merges with the Night from my favorite album from him, which is called Another Green World. And um, I chose this song. I think this song had a real direct, uh, Brian Eno in general, but this song had a direct uh, sort of, was a direct motivator for me to go in and record a song that I wrote called Fools. Fools Wear Crowns. And um, yes, Brian Eno just has, uh, at that moment, as a songwriter, he was just really able to incorporate space as he does so well um with mad a mad amount of intimacy in his vocal performances and um just beautiful melodies and a bit of naivety and, I, and there's a naivety to it and um yeah that's why i chose it he's like a huge inspiration for me is fools by crowns one of the singles from the album no, it's just it's a song that came out that Pitchfork premiered with that article. Oh, I see. Because that's one that people have been talking about and I've heard and it's great. Yeah. I want to ask quickly about the album artwork for your record. Yeah. Who do you get to do the album artwork? Is and who did this one? Yes, I, I asked a, an artist in Miami called Tawny Silva to make the artwork for this record. I um, Tawny is it's like a an overgrown child <laughs> and um, he, I, I met him when I was there playing a show and kind of like went into his world uh, he lives in a warehouse with like a huge oversized rocking horse painted in day glow and like he has a swing he lives in a warehouse that has like he's and he's he, he has all sorts of these paintings that he's done that evoke you know cards from the 50s and, and images of kids and He's just this very pure, sweet, childlike spirit. Cool. And uh, yeah, so when I met him and just kind of went into his world, I was like, I'd love you to do some artwork for me because the child spirit and protecting it is a big thing, yeah. I think, with Hercules. Mm -hmm. Like, mom, That's something I've always led with as well. So he made sense. He makes a lot of sense. And in general, I just love the idea of, you know, you collaborate with singers, you collaborate with other musicians, you collaborate with co-producers, collaborate with visual artists. You offer them an opportunity to... to create a sort of exchange uh you you have a dialogue like what does this piece of music make you think about mm -hmm. and i get to see what they come up with so that's really fun for me i love hearing about artists in their album artwork i always ask about it, especially when they've had a direct hand in it or they've chosen the person because yeah they always just light up about it because it is it's that nice kind of collaboration with someone who's doing something different but still kind of interpreting the same ideas yes it's actually one of the jo most joyous parts i think of, of making an album it's really fun yeah yeah um there's a in the Rough Trade magazine, there's a girl called Lucy who writes the Sleeves column, and she was writing about the Brian Eno album um, that we were just talking about and how the front cover of that is actually a segment of Brian Eno's, of a painting by Eno's art teacher when he was a kid. Wow. And they became, they, they stayed friends, and he just used a piece of art by his art teacher. And we That's thought that was so super cool. cute. Yeah. I know. That's amazing. I know. I'll show you it later. Um, anyway, so we can introduce the Brian Eno track now. And this is Brian Eno, Everything Merges with the Night. I've been waiting 
I stand on the beach Giving out descriptions Different for everyone I see Since I just can't remember Longer than last September Santiago Under the volcano Floats like a cushion on the Yet I can never sleep That was Everything Merges with the Night by Brian Eno. Okay, we're on to number four now, and then we'll go for one of your tracks. Okay. Uh, so number four is LFO. Okay, LFO, yeah, LFO. Uh, this was, again, uh, I, I included this simply because um, in terms of a production aesthetic for this record, I knew that I wanted to explore some more... Uh, some colder, some mm, colder atmospheres explore the notion of space and sort of um, uh, soundscapes. Um, I I knew that I wasn't going to shy away from a bit of a digital um, uh, di- from, from digital sounds on this record, and uh, yeah, maybe there was a bit of a futuristic nod 
on on this album. There's a little bit in terms of the production, um, a nod towards a bit more of a futuristic production style rather than uh, yeah, sort of like referential classic, yeah. classic old school. So um, Mark Bell, who sadly passed away not long ago, is a a long was the long a long time collaborator of Bjork's um, and had a really seminal important techno project called LFO and it was always um, something I looked to my favorite techno project ever and so yeah this is a song called LFO spelled differently (laughs) by LFO
That was LFO, as in E L E F O H by LFO. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. So now before, I guess we'll say goodbye and then you can lead out with a, a track from the album. Do I get so to pick a, it? You can pick whatever track you want from your own album, yeah. Gosh, <laughs> that's, if that's really a hard. Okay. <laughs> no. um, well, maybe we'll, why don't we play Are You Still Certain? The the song that I did with Mashulela. Okay. Um, I picked that song because for me it, it's a... Uh, it was a, a, a sort of an adventurous uh, creative st- step or to, to to take. You know, I'd never ever done a song for a Hercules and Love for a record in another language, and um, it was an exciting opportunity for me to to do that um, and to sort of turn over um, a lot of the lyric lyrical content. Um, to someone who I think is an amazing poet and uh, yeah, just someone with an Im- incredibly powerful message, that being Hamed Sino, the lead singer of Mashrulela. But uh, yeah, also just to, I think, let's play that song. They were so wonderful inviting me into their creative process and, and making this song with me. So I guess we'll play Are You Still Certain from the new album. Thank you so much for coming in. Andy. Thank you and very much for having me. It was quite fun. Cool. I'm glad you liked it. And next time you're in London, come and see us. I will. And anyone listening, please check out the new album um, because it's going to be fantastic. And Andy's great. And <laughs> what other reasons do you need? <laughs> oh, they all sound good to me. Great. So can you introduce the track one more time? Then that's yeah. it. Goodbye. Sure, sure. Uh, this is Hercules and Love Affair. The song is called Are You Still Certain from the new album Omnion.
Rough Trade Radio. The War on Drugs, a deeper understanding. Available in store and online at roughtrade.com. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do, so if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.